Well, today I am kicking off a short mini-series called Over Under, which is not a series on the thrills and dangers of sports betting or gambling. It might just be a really poorly named uh, series, but in this series for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about something that all of us interact with at some point across our lives. And on top of that, what we're going to talk about today and next week is something that we interact differently with at different points along the way of life, in different seasons of life, and even interact differently at the same time and in the same season depending on the relationships and the nature of our, of our life um, that exists across, our, across the, the course of life. So without any further buildup, here's what we're going to be talking about today and next week. We're going to be talking about authority. We're going to talk about authority. Audible groans going out all across church onlineville. I know audible groans going on in living rooms and bedrooms all over the place right now. I know, I know. We have a tendency to groan when we hear the word authority because we don't like the acknowledging that at times others are in authority over us, that we are under someone else's authority. We don't like to acknowledge that sometimes our own attitudes towards authority haven't been so great. We've also seen people misuse or abuse their positions of authority, and all of that shapes the way that we naturally respond to authority or authorities in our lives. But no matter what your response to authority is, authority is a reality in our lives in one way or another. In the, uh, Kevin Gerald, the pastor of a church in Washington, he, he kind of pointed out that there's six general areas that exist in, in every single life. There's authority in your family. There's authority in your career or your job. There's authority that exists in your church. There's authority that exists in your school. There's authority that exists in, our commu in the community. And there's authority that exists in the government, whether it be the city, a state, or a nation. There's authority in all of those areas that you exist in a world that your life interacts with authorities in your family, in your career, in your job, in your church, in your school, in your community, and in your city, state, and national government. Every single one of us, that's the reality of our lives, that we exist in the reality that there is authority and that sometimes we are in authority and sometimes we exist under the authority of someone else. And here's the ultimate reality in all of those authority situations is that God works through authority that God works through authority. In fact, when you look to the scriptures, this is one of those unmistakable principles. Like you can't point to like just one specific thing and go, ah, see this verse tells us that God works through authority, although those do exist. When you look through the whole of scripture, what you see is God works through authority. Jesus actually said, follow me. I mean, you're like, that's an authority thing? Yes. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus didn't ask anyone to follow a committee or a group. Jesus, this sounds offensive, Jesus was not interested in creating a democracy. Jesus wanted people to follow him because he knew he was the ultimate authority. Jesus recognized, in, at, near the end of his life, Jesus recognized Pilate's position of authority as coming from God, there's this interaction where Jesus and Pilate are interacting. And Pilate says, don't you know that I have the power or the authority to set you free or to put you on a cross? And Jesus says, I recognize that you would have no authority over me if it was not given to you from above. Jesus recognized that God had placed Pilate in authority and recognized that whether or not Pilate was a good man, whether or not he deserved to be in that place, that he was placed there by God. Paul in the New Testament said, follow me as I follow Christ. Again, Paul made himself an authority on following Jesus. 
that God worked through the authority of Paul, that what Paul had figured out about following Jesus was to be emulated and followed in the church. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul also instructed the churches in numerous of his letters to honor government authorities because they were placed in authority by God. Meaning Paul, knowing that the Roman government, the Roman empire, the Roman officials who taxed heavily, who placed undue burdens on people, people who had seen, like, I mean, like, were incredibly corrupt, tax systems that were incredibly corrupt, law that was really not law, but was like whatever they say and whatever they feel like at any moment in time can become the law. Paul, knowing that was what the Roman government was like, said, you follow the governing authorities because they will be used by God because they've been placed there by God. In the Old Testament, you see good examples of Moses and Joshua, Gideon and other judges, Samuel, David, Solomon as godly authorities that God used in the nation of Israel for the good of the nation of Israel. Also in the Old Testament, you see God working through evil and even foreign kings where God says, I'm using this person as a tool to bring judgment on the nation of Israel. I'm using these people. I'm using the Philistines as the source of judgment because the nation has drifted and forgotten the Lord their God. This is the thing, like God works through authority. God works through authority. And if it's true that God works through the, through authority, then our response to earthly authority is ultimately an indicator of our response to God's ultimate authority. Let me say that again. Our response to earthly authority is an indicator of our response to God's ultimate authority, which means your response when others are in authority over you is an indicator of your response to God's ultimate authority. As a college student, your response to your parents who still pay for your school and pay for your rent is an indicator of your response to God's ultimate authority. As an employee, your response to your department head or your area manager that you're not a fan of is an indicator of your response to God's ultimate authority. As an American, let me just tick everyone off, your response to governmental authority that you didn't vote for is an indicator of your response to God's ultimate authority. Your response to earthly authority is an indicator of your response to God's ultimate authority. But here's the thing. That's all the under part of authority. When you find yourself under someone else's authority, when you find yourself under the authority of someone that you disagree with or that you dis dislike, how do you handle that? How do you respond in those situations? That's all that part. And what we're gonna talk about, and that's, and that's what we're gonna talk about next week, but here's the thing. Your response when you have earthly, earthly authority, your response when you have earthly authority is just as much an indicator of your response to God's ultimate authority. Your response when you are in charge, when you have influence, when you are in a position of earthly authority, your response when you have that, your natural inclination, your first thought, what you lean into when you have earthly authority is an indicator of your response to God's ultimate authority. And trust me, 
everyone has some area of life where you hold authority. You're like, no, not me. I'm, I'm not in charge of anything. I'm not in charge. I'm Every adult has some area of their life where you hold authority. If you're a parent, you carry authority with your kids. You're like, no, they don't listen to me at all. If you're a parent, you carry authority with your kids. If you're an employer, sorry, if you're an employer, you carry authority in your business or organization. If you're a teacher, you carry a level of authority in your classroom. If you're a trained expert, like people seek out your expertise, you have authority in their lives, whether it's as a financial advisor, as a counselor, as a, as a doctor, as a, like what, like, if people are seeking out your expertise, you have authority in theirs. If you're a contractor, if, you, if you're a person who does construction, if you're a person who fixes and repairs broken things in people's homes, I'm telling you, people who don't know what, they, what, what to do, they call you as an expert and you carry a level of authority in their lives. If you're a coach for your kid's soccer or baseball team, you carry a level of authority there for, for other parents and for the children that you're responsible for. And I'll say this, if you're a friend, of someone. You carry a certain level of authority that comes with the influence of being a trusted friend. As a pastor, let me just say this. As a pastor, I, have, I had to figure this out, and I've been figuring this out in different ways for about 17 years now. Like, I'm not the son of a pastor, okay? Like, like I'm not the son of a preacher man. I, I couldn't, you know, please that person who wrote that song. Like, I'm not the son of a, of a preacher man. I've, I've been around church my whole life, and I went to Bible college to prepare to be a pastor. But actually, being a pastor is a whole different thing. It's like carrying a level of responsibility that I've had to learn to figure out when I, when I made the transition from being a, a small group leader to being a, 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 an associate pastor or an interim pastor to, to actually being the youth pastor to being a lead pastor. Like every step along the way came with, uh, came with a new level of authority and something that I had to figure out how to handle well and steward well. And the reason I have had to figure out how to handle that well and steward that well is because of what I just said, that when you have earthly authority, not if you have earthly authority, when you have earthly authority, it's ultimately a sign of what your response when you have that earthly authority. It's a sign of what you believe about God's ultimate authority. And here's what I believe about God's ultimate authority is that when he works through authority, if he gives you authority, when he, when he gives you authority, when you have authority, it has been given to you by God. It is a stewardship and you will be held accountable. That when God gives you authority, when you're a parent and God, get, when you're a, a married person or when you're a parent and God, God gives you children, that, that's it. That's a, you have been given that authority by God. It's a stewardship and you'll be held accountable for what you do as a parent. When you're a married person, when you're a spouse and you have authority in one direction or another over, over in relationship to your spouse, I'm just telling you, that's a stewardship that's been given to you by God. It's a stewardship. It's something that we'll all be held accountable for. As a pastor, my authority that I have within our church, it's something that has been given to me by God. It's a stewardship. It's something that God gave me for a specific purpose. And I'll be held accountable by God for what I do as the, with the responsibility and the authority that he's given me as the pastor of a church. What you do with your expertise in your job, when people come to see you, and whether or not you use it for your benefit or for their benefit, I'm just telling you, whether or not your approach to that, your, your job is, is selfish and make as much money as you can, or whether it's not to serve the other people, like I'm just telling you, 
your job, your expertise, your position in the classroom, your position as the owner of the company. It's something that has been given to you by God. It's been given to you by God. You think, no, I started the company. I took the risk. Okay, who allowed the company to flourish? Who allowed the company to succeed? Who made sure the company is still in existence today? It's been given to you by God. It's a stewardship, meaning it's in your hands to do what God wants you to do with it. It's a stewardship and every single one of us, we will be held accountable by the one who gave us the authority, who gave us the stewardship and who will ultimately one day hold us accountable. So the question today is simply this, what do you do when you're in authority? What do you do when there are people who you are over them in authority, in, 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 in a job, in a home, in a career, in any situation of life? When you're in authority over other people, when other people are following your lead, what is it that you do if you believe that God has given you the authority that you have because God works through authority and that God is working through you, that whatever responsibility and authority you have, God has given to you as a stewardship and will one day hold you accountable for what you do with the authority that he's given to you. In John chapter 13, at the, at the Last Supper, we actually get an incredible story, a fascinating story that gives us the answer to this question. And the reason it gives us this answer is actually because of something that happens really early on in the story of the Last Supper. In John chapter 13, it says this, starting in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. I mean, like, that should just make us stop it. Like, any, anytime we're in authority, anytime we have a position of authority, anytime we have influential authority because of a relationship, this should make us sit up and pay attention to what you do when you realize that you have authority. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. This is the realization of authority over everything. Everyone in the room, over the room itself, over the city that the room was in, over the, over the nation that the city was in, over the world that the nation, I mean, like, this is just Jesus realizing he's got all authority, that God had given him authority over everything. Now, here's the thing. I know you're a big deal. I know, you, I know you've got 30 students in a classroom. I know that you've got 40 clients that you see on a regular basis. I know that people call you and there's a waiting list to get you to come out to their house. I know you're a big deal. You are not authority over everything in the world, in the heavens and on the earth. You are not that big of a deal. But the question remains, and the question that, we would, that, that Jesus would give us an answer to at this moment in time is what do you do when you realize you are the most powerful person in in the room. What do you do when you realize that you're the most powerful? Again, Jesus realized at this moment in time with 12 guys sitting around a table, I am for sure the most powerful person in the room. That's not a sign, a sign of arrogance or pride for Jesus. And when you realize that you're a person of influence or a person of authority, it's not a, a, a realization of pride. Or it's not a sign of, of, of arrogance on your part. Sometimes this is the most realistic thing that we can actually do in our lives to go in this moment, I'm the person who, like, everyone's looking to me. I'm the person who's in charge. And so what do you do when you realize 
You're the person everyone's looking to. What do you do when you realize people are waiting for you to come fix their air conditioning? What do you do when you realize you have the power to, to, to help someone accomplish something or to not accomplish a, a dream in their life? What do you do when you realize that you are the most powerful person in the room? Here's what Jesus did when he realized he was the most powerful person in the room. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. The very next thing that Jesus did upon recognizing his authority was to humble himself and serve those following him. Again, he, he, he removes the outer symbol, symbols of his authority. When he realizes he's got authority, the first thing he does is remove the symbols of his authority. I think that's such a beautiful picture. And he kneels down and does for them something that they had not even been willing to do for themselves. Someone that no one else would ever be willing to do for them. He kneels down, he humbles himself, and he serves and meets a need that no one else was willing to meet for them. And this is a simple principle, but this is a powerful truth that if serving is beneath you, godly use of authority is beyond you. That if serving is beneath you, godly use of authority is unfortunately beyond you. If there's a thought, well, that's not what leaders do. That's not what parents do. That's not what owners do. That's not what managers do. That's not what, like, we're not, we don't serve. Like, like, we're there to do our job and to teach and to fix the stuff. And like, but we're not there to serve. I'm just telling you, if there's a thought in your head, well, that's not what I, what, what I'm supposed to do. I'm just telling you. You have missed the true nature of why your authority has been given to you. Your authority has been given to you so that you can serve. And I'm just telling you, if serving is beneath you, if the thought of, of serving, you're like, I, I don't want to wash people's feet. I, I, I get that. I don't want to wash, wash anybody's feet either. But if serving, the idea of serving and meeting the needs of those under your authority, authority if that feels like it's beneath you, unfortunately, your natural tendency will be to use your authority for your benefit, for your good, and it will be to, unfortunately, what, what that ends up in is that you will misuse and abuse your authority and will hurt the people under your influence. In verse 12, Jesus said this, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? I think Jesus thought, you know what? Some of these guys are really quick to pick up on it, but some of these guys are pretty dense. So I want to make sure that they understood what I was doing. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you you. Jesus says, I just wanted to let you know, I didn't just wash your feet as a ceremony. I didn't just wash your feet as like a one-time really cool moment with Jesus. 
I washed your feet to set an example for you that when you realize you're the person in authority in any room, when you realize that you're the person who people are looking to for answers, when you realize that you're the person who's in charge, when you realize you're the person who's got to make a decision that's going to affect a whole bunch of people, when you realize that that's who you are, you serve. That's the example that Jesus set for his followers. A few minutes later at that same meal, Luke records this conversation that happened. Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at the table sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. The first question they answer, and this is so fascinating, the first question at the start of this discussion is who would be the worst of them? Who would do such a thing as to betray Jesus? We've been walking and talking with him for three and a half years. Who, we've seen the miracles. We, know, we believe he's the resurrection and the life. We believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. We believe he's the good shepherd. We believe he's everything that he has said he is and more. We believe that to be true about him. Who would betray Jesus? Who, that person would have to be like the scum of the earth to see what we've seen and then to betray who we believe is the savior. Who would do such a thing? That person would have to be the worst of the worst. And then out of that question, flowed an interesting op question in the opposite direction that formed an interesting debate. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Imagine having that conversation again. This is why I think Jesus felt like he had to like, hey guys, I'm, I'm gonna explain this to you because some of you are pretty dense. Like 20 minutes after telling them, this is not about you, they start having a conversation like, well, which of us is gonna be is like the greatest? Like, like which one of us is gonna be the most important? Who's gonna sit at Jesus' right and Jesus' left? Like, and Jesus is sitting there watching this conversation, going, like, Are you kidding? Like, did they completely did they completely miss it? And so verse 25, Jesus told them, Jesus like coughs. So, <coughs> Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they're called friends of the people. In other words, this is how the world uses their authority. That whenever you've seen it misused and abused, this was at the root. That my leadership and my authority and my influence is ultimately about me and about me being the greatest, and me being the most important, and me having the most authority so that I can use it to benefit me. Lord it over here literally means they use it for their own benefit. So the governors use their, their, their position of governance to benefit and enrich themselves. The tax collectors, they use their position as a tax collector to benefit and enrich themselves. Everyone in these positions of authority, using it the way the world views authority, has, has used and will use their authority to benefit themselves. He says, this is, like, this is how it works in the world. They use their authority to get people to serve them and benefit their lives and benefit their bank account and benefit their overall well-being. He says, but among you, but among you, it will be different. Notice there's this interesting word. It will be different. Not, not should be, 
Not, it'd be a good idea if it was different. Not, hey, this is, we're gonna try out a new strategy. He says, among you, it will be different. This is Jesus giving them a command without giving them a command. It will be different among you. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. So according to Jesus, what do you do when you realize you're the most powerful person in the room? What do you realize when you ha- that you have the authority? What do you do when people are looking to you for answers? What do you do when people are on a wait list for you to come out and check out their stuff? What do you do when people are trying to get in to see you for your expertise? What do you do when you realize that you're that you're the coach, so you so you've got to make the decision to, to, to for, for the for the benefit? Of you? What do you do when you have the authority? What do you do when you recognize that since God entrusted you with authority, there must be something He wants to do in and through with and through you? What do you do when you realize you'll be accountable to God for what you do with the influence and the authority that he has given you? When you realize all that, when you have authority, you use your authority for the good of those under your authority. This is what you do according to Jesus. According to Jesus, when you have authority and when you realize that authority came from God and when you realize that since it came from God, there must be a purpose that God has for your authority and when you realize that you will ultimately be held accountable by God, the most natural response that you could have is that you would use your authority for the good of those God has placed under your authority to serve for Jesus, it was very literally washing the disciples' feet. And I, I, I mean, let me just be honest. I hope that's not what's required of us today. But if that's what's required, that's what we should be willing to do for the benefit of those who are placed under our authority. I think it's finding a way in our homes, in our workplaces, on the, on the soccer fields, in your offices, that in, in the schools, to find a way that we would use our authority Use whatever influence we have, whatever power we have, whatever authority that God has placed into our hands for this moment, for this season of life, to use it for the benefit and for the good to serve those that he has placed under our care and under our responsibility and under our authority. Two thoughts I think about what that looks like is that we must make make sure that we are wholly submitted to God and fully devoted to serving those you lead. Fully submitted to God and fully devoted to serving those you lead. Fully, wholly submitted to God means this. A leader obediently following God will always be what's best for those following their lead. A leader who is sensitive to the leading and the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit will always be best for those that we lead. I'm telling you, whether, it's, whether that's in your family, as a mom and a dad, as a husband and a wife, a husband and a wife and a mom and dad who are sensitively listening and watching for and hoping to understand the guidance and the direction and the whisper of the Holy Spirit leading us to parent well, to be a husband well, to be a wife well. I'm just telling you, there is nothing better for a marriage, nothing better for a family than parents and spouses who are gently listening and completely submitted and completely obedient to what God wants for us 
And you're thinking, that's great in the family. Guess what? It's also great in your workplace. It's also great at the school that you teach at. It's also great in the, in the, in the company that you work for. It's also great in a counseling room. It's also great when you're in the, in, in the truck going out to, do some, to, to work on someone's house. This is great everywhere. That, that God can use you beyond the work that you do. That there's the work that you do. And then sometimes there's the conversations that you're having during the work that you do. And if you'll allow yourself to be wholly submitted to God, I'm just telling you, there will be times where, you, where, where your work will matter and the conversation that you'll have a, a, while you're doing your, your work will be something of eternal value. So if we want to be people who use our authority and use our influence to serve other people for their good and for their benefit, the number one thing that we got to make sure that we do is that we would be wholly submitted to God, obediently following what God says and what God leads and what God would have for us and what God tells us to do for the good of someone else and sensitively listening to and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit speaking to and guiding our lives and giving us direction and telling us conversations that need to happen and telling us questions that we may just need to ask. It's fully devoted then to serving those you lead. I want to give you a few ideas of what this looks like. For parents, this, this question is pretty much going to be the same question throughout these in different, different areas of our lives. What would be the best thing you could do for your kid today? I mean, again, we, we, we've all, uh, if you're a parent, chances are you have read the parenting books, you've read parenting experts, you've read a whole bunch of different opinions on what's best for parents, you've read stuff by the best child psychologists that, that are out there, and our tendency is to go, well, this is what works for kids, and I just want to encourage you, sometimes you need to stop and ask the question, what would be the best thing I can do for my kid, and what would be the best thing I can do for my kid today? For some of you as parents, I'm just telling you, if your parenting is not about filling out the, you, you, I'm just going to tell you what, your parenting is not about being and, and following a book. Your parenting is about parenting your kid, and your kid is not every kid. And for some of you, the best thing that you can do is to know your kid well enough to answer the question, what's the best thing that I can do for my kid right now? Employers. What is the single best thing that you could do tomorrow to serve your employees? To those, who, those who work for you, you're like, I, I signed their paychecks, isn't that enough? What would be the single best thing that you could do tomorrow to serve your employees? I know your thought. Well, I have to focus on being a great boss. I have to focus on the finances. I have to focus on making sure everybody gets paid. Well, what do the best bosses do? Jesus set the example of meeting a need by washing their feet. And I know what you're thinking. If I get all about serving my employees, won't they take advantage of me? Here's the, here's the thing. A small percentage of people might take advantage of you. But when you look at what Jesus' disciples did, they did not slack off because Jesus set a tone of service. They wholeheartedly gave themselves to carrying out the mission of Jesus in building the church. There's a fantastic book, out, book that came out about five or six years ago called Love Works. It was written by a man named Joel Manby. Um, he was actually featured on Undercover Boss, that's on the show on CBS a number of years ago. He was at one point the CEO of C world, the CEO of Hirsch Entertainment Group, fantastic book. And, and he wrote a book uh, talking about what happens in organizations where the leaders 
put an emphasis on meeting the needs of their employees and serving their employees. And here's what happens, what most people do when, they, when their needs are met by their leaders. They turn into the best employees in the world. Joel Manby wrote this in Love Works. Employees who are loved, listened to, and have their needs met work harder, produce more, and are more engaged in the company's mission 100% of the time. I'm just telling you, as an employer, as an employer, your employees will be better for your leadership that serves them. They will be better as individuals, but chances are also, if you need this as motivation, chances are also that they will become better employees and work harder for you and produce more for you and be more engaged in their mission when you make, a, a, when you make it your mission to serve them and to meet their needs. Teachers, What's the one thing you could do for your students that would make the biggest difference in your lives? You're like, my job is to teach the curriculum. I'm just gonna tell you, for some of you, there are students in, in your classrooms who the biggest thing that you can do might be to hug them. And I don't know if that's even allowed in the schools. But for some of, some of you, you have students in your classroom who desperately need an affirming voice. For some of you, you have people in your, students in your classrooms who live in absolute chaos at home. And the best thing that you will do for them is to create a, 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 a classroom of loving structure. You're like, never really thought about it like that. That's what you do when you realize that your authority as a teacher has come from God and that there's a purpose for your authority in your classroom and that you'll be held accountable by God for whether or not you just got through the curriculum or whether you did the best things that you could for the people and the young people that God entrusted to your care, for counselors, for financial advisors, for department heads, for nurses, for doctors, not just how can I do my job and get home and how much and how can I have this job that you know makes a good amount of money and then I get to go home and be with my family. What's the one thing that I can do today for the benefit of those who trust me as their authority. That's why, you, let me tell you what I know about you. That's why you wanted to do that job, do your job in the first place. It wasn't just to make money and get to go home. It's returning to the original motivation that you had when you set out before you even started school to work towards those things. How can I do something that helps people? in the course of your job, in your office, in your school, at your workplace, in your counseling sessions, what is it that you can do today that helps the people who look to you as a source of truth, as a source of expertise, as a source of, uh, uh, as, as a constant in their lives? What can you do today to serve the people that God has entrusted to your care? And here's why this is such a big deal for, for us as a church. I mean, when we started as a church, man, for, like for most of us, our church in those earliest years, we were a bunch of kids and punks, okay? Like everyone was in school or right out of school. No one was in charge of anything, all right? Like barely anyone had kids. I mean, that's how much we were not in charge of anything. Seven years later, and a lot can happen. Not only is our church busting at the seam with children, but on top of that, people have grown and moved into places of authority in their careers, in their workplaces. Like people, like people are, are department heads. People are owning their own practices. People are in charge of things in divisions of, of, of state government. People are, in, are, are, are actually in places and positions of authority in their homes and outside of their homes. And with that, 
This is important because we have this incredibly, incredible opportunity to get it right with our authority, to be shining lights for Jesus Christ in a world that does not know what servant-hearted leadership looks like, who does not know what it looks like when authority is not out for their own good, but is, it exists for the benefit of the people they serve, to not misuse it, to not abuse it, and to not use it the way the rest of the world uses authority, but to use our God-entrusted authority for the benefit of those that we influence and those that we lead. So if we'll get this right, I'm just telling you, we'll better serve those under our leadership. But even more, we get the opportunity to shine a big, bright spotlight on the God who loves us, the God who created us, the God who has entrusted us with authority so that we'll use it to point people to him by serving them, by loving them, by meeting their needs, by doing what, is, what we are supposed to do when we are entrusted with authority by our heavenly father. And if you'll do that today, you'll use your authority the way God intends you to use your authority when you have it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the moments and the times in our lives where we actually do come to the realization like Jesus that we have the authority, that, that, that you have placed authority in our hands, that you've placed us in positions of authority uh, over, over our, our children, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community, in, in, in our city, wherever we are. God, thank you for those moments. And God, thank you that in those moments, we're not left to figure it out on our own. We're not left to try to make sense of it on our own and, 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 and figure out and identify what our next course of action is to be. We're just left to figure out how do we serve. We know the answer is what do we do when we have authority is we serve and we use our authority for the benefit of the people under our authority. So God, help us in those moments to recognize and realize what it is that we should do as servants. We pray that you give us wisdom to, to know what to do with what we've just heard. Help us to have courage to actually put it into practice. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.